Welcome back to the Green Element podcast, where we feature business leaders and innovators transforming their operations to be more environmentally and socially sustainable. I'm your host, Will Richardson, and I can't wait to meet our guest today and help you on your journey of sustainability. Today, we've got Jay Cotterell on the podcast, and she is a massively inspiring lady who has been working in the industry of greening up homes and houses for over 10 years now. And it's really cool talking to her and having talked to her because of an un- that understanding of what we need to do and how we need to do it. And that knowledge that she has, and to be honest with you, that conversation could have gone on for a lot longer and just exploring more and more ways that we can reduce our environmental impact when building homes. Yeah, I hope you enjoy the episode as much as I did. Hi, Jay. Thank you so much for coming along to the Green Element podcast. You're Jay Cotterill from Passive Homes. Please tell us more about Passive House Homes. Yes, it's great. Thank you for inviting me on the podcast. Basically, Passive House Homes is a business that is helping people to build basically what's called net zero carbon houses. And the idea is that we provide a route or a pathway for new houses so that people can get there simply, economically, and we provide the support. So whether it's a self-builder, whether it's an architect, whether it's a client group like a council, the idea is that we provide all the technical backup and a pathway through to ensuring that at the end of it, you get a net zero carbon house at the end. And part of what we do is also education. We're very interested in passing on knowledge so that, um, you know, I think I said to you when we, when we initially had a chat that we've got 10 years to go from where we are, which is very poor housing and, and an industry that builds very poor quality housing. And then we've got 10 years to 2030 to get to net zero carbon, which is an incredibly short time frame. Mm. And so it's not about people doing exceptional things. It's about the whole industry transitioning to doing something much, much better than what they're doing now. And do you think it is a case of everyone having to work together for that? Uh, well, if you're going to, you know, there's no, everyone, ha- that's what the what climate change studies and science all tells us. We've all got to be doing radical reductions in carbon. Um, so that means it's not just about, you know, the odd eco-architect or the odd passionate individual who decides they're going to do something exceptional in the, country, in the countryside or whatever. It's got to be everyone as an industry moving to a very different place. And that's you know quite a challenge. And how long have you been in this space for? To give us an idea of um, experience. Okay, so my first um, house that I did that would be what's called the passive house standard, which is a German standard, which is just very very energy efficient. It's the highest energy efficiency standard in the world. Um, first house I did was two thousand and ten, and before that I went and I did a master's course because I was I'm an architect and. Yeah, I, I kept hearing, oh, you should do this sustainably and that sustainably. And I, I really was confused myself. What do people really mean? Because mm-hmm. it's thrown around as a term. And I felt I needed to take time out and I need to work out for myself what a sustainable practice might look like. I came across this standard during that process and I thought, this is it. You know, we must have energy. Number one, we must have energy efficient buildings. And it's the only way. Because we've got to have um, 
I'm sure you do talk to people maybe very interested in the energy grid and having a, a renewable energy grid and a, a zero, you know, zero, low carbon, zero carbon energy. But in order to make that work, you've got to reduce the demand for energy right down from what it is now. So match the demand to make the grid work. So that means the houses must be really energy efficient. So they match properly to a, to a zero carbon grid. So it's absolutely critical. There's no... There's no negotiating in it. And then the other thing we're interested in is embodied carbon. So that means that you're building out of low, minimally processed materials. Mm. With houses, I think, and the UK Climate Change Committee said this as well, our future housing should predominantly be built from timber frame. The amount of carbon embodied in timber frame is so much less than masonry. Right. Do you predominantly build new builds or do you also retrofit builds? Within the process. Well, my, my first project was a mix of retrofit and, retrofit and new, and it made me realise how challenging it is to do a retrofit. Quite expensive, and it's not just superficial; it's really gutting a building um, to do it properly. So, I think it's still a big ask to make it economically possible for people to properly retrofit mm. the sort of standards I'm talking. But if you're doing new housing, it is the uplifting cost to go from what we'd currently do what we need to do you can do it really within six to eight percent probably even down to four percent when we get you know the markets right so that uplift is economically sustainable you can do it so we should do it sorry what do you mean by six to eight percent well so if i was to build a house in the way that i build it with a timber frame and just meet building control standards sort of what is minimal compliance and then i was to uplift it to net zero carbon i can do that in our system, about 6%. So okay. 6% more for that new house. But that's nothing for the gains that you get. You get really low bills, really super indoor air quality, there's health benefits. If you were challenged with um, you know, low income and the cost of energy, then it would be fantastic for you. It puts all these gains are all in Really, it's just, it's a, you get lots out of it, as well as, of course, we're mitigating climate change. Yeah. I mean, to put that in perspective, a £100,000 house, that's an extra six six £6,000. Yeah. You're looking yeah. at probably in the region of about one and a half to £2,000 for energy of that house that would be very low, plus all the other... Yeah, um, and, if you, and if you took into account the payback of the low energy bills over the years, so if you were going to stay in that house, yeah. you'd get that money back, wouldn't you, when you yeah. strip that in? There's loads of things you can do to minimise that uptake. Like you can design it carefully. You can do something like what's called form factor, which is the shape of the house. So the, the proportion of the envelope, the thermal envelope of the house, to the floor area, you can get a really efficient house where it might only be the ratio might be around two, or you could build a house where the ratio would be four. So one that's two would be like a terrace. I mean, the perfect shape would be a sphere or a cube. Right. Our system, from going from a perfect shape wiggly diggly shape it could cost you twice as much to build your house so there's lots of ways and also there's a huge cost difference in how much glazing you have and stuff so it's educating people how they can do it economically just through design careful design mm. and really do it for a minimal uplift and then they can have all those those um sort of basket of benefits as well as well as feeling they've done the right thing by the environment as well and we hear about different types of insulation and are there particular types of insulation that people should be aware of 
because I remember we were talking before my cousin's husband, Charlie Luxton, and I remember him telling me about if it's out of 10, say normal Kingspan is usually about six out of 10, maybe seven out of 10. And I'm obviously going to get this slightly wrong because I always do, but I'm not quoting him directly, but say six. And then it will go down to about three out of 10 after about 10 years and it will slowly go through. But then if you have some very natural insulation, it will start off at five and a half out of 10 or six out of 10, but it won't actually go down to anything below five. So therefore, its thermal value will actually over the long term be much more efficient and won't emit any of the chemicals. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about, about deterioration over time. I wouldn't have thought there'd be... I haven't heard of there being deterioration with chemical-based insulations, but you might be right. I don't know any facts. But what I would say is the facts that I know are if you're choosing a closed-cell insulation, which is basically made out of oil or plastic... It's come from the oil industry. It's a waste product oil industry. So they love to sell it. And they're huge companies who sell those products, things like Celotex and stuff like that. Um, well, it's very high in embodied carbon. It might be an insulation. So it might save you some carbon when you install it. But to make it, they've had to emit a load of carbon into the atmosphere. And the atmosphere, that's it, isn't it? So you have something called a SIPS panel and build your house, which is two bits of board with some of that closed cell insulation in between. It's cheap. But the embodied energy is surprisingly high. Whereas if you build, uh, put natural insulations like sheep's wool or just wood fibre, recycled newspaper, or they don't have quite as good a thermal conductivity. They don't perform quite as well. So you need a bit more of it. But they're not expensive. And um, they're very low in embodied carbon. And as long as you, you're getting the wood from a um, sustainable source, which you should be doing, if you're doing it responsibly, and actually, and the interesting thing is the RIBA, that's the Royal Institute of British Architects, brought out something called the RIBA 2030 Climate Challenge. And they've got targets in there for architects to sign up to. So basically by 2030, you've got to hit a target for operational carbon. That's the amount of energy your house needs every year. You've got to hit that target. And basically that's the passive house standard. Right. And then underneath it, they've got a target for embodied carbon. So you've got to build your house carefully as well with the right sort of materials. And um, that's never happened before. We've never had anybody telling us that we had to be careful about the embodied carbon, the things that we make things out of. So I find this incredibly, I, I for a long time felt it was important. But now we're getting the feedback. We have to, we have to build with lower embodied carbon materials. So that means natural insulation is the way to go. And the other thing I'd say about natural insulations is they um, behave much better in terms of moisture so they're generally they're like natural aren't they manage moisture in a way that an oil-based insulation is completely inert and won't so if you're going to make a timber house you should in my strong advice is you should match that with natural insulations because you need moisture you need your house needs to breathe it's got nothing to do with energy but it needs to be safe otherwise it will rot you make sure that your house is designed in a way that allows vapour, moisture, to move through and dry out as it needs to seasonally. Um, and using all these plastic insulations is a no-no, really. And you have to be very careful. It's fine if you're doing masonry because it's all inert, isn't it? A brick is inert, blockwork's inert. You know, throw, this is what we've done. We've just thrown lots of high-embodied energy buildings into our buildings. We haven't cared. The final thing I'd say about the um, plastic insulations is people are cutting them 
and dealing with them on site, the people actually have to do the work, I don't think it's best working with and breathing in. Mm. So I think it's much healthier and kinder to the, to the guys on site, whoever's on site, if they're working with more natural, less processed materials. It's a, it's a nicer task. With this um, new looking at embodied energy, looking at how to build a building, are we going to see the big house builders going down this route? I mean, is it going to be legislation or, you know, or is it just recommendations from RIBA? That is a very good question. And it's been the problem all along. And it's in, I'm sure it's in lots of areas it's a problem. So in the UK, we're very unusual. We have, I think, seven large volume house builders dominate the market and they have huge lobbying power and they lobby against change because they make huge, you just think of the profits the Simmons made last year when there was all the hoo-ha. So it's that, that resistance to change and, and someone in government has to be strong and insist that it does change. And the UK Climate Change Committee did issue a report last year and for the first time I agreed with everything in it. <laughs> we must we must do these things we must hit these standards we must do it in the next 10 years you know we must have low embodied debt we must build out of timber so they're, they're saying all the right things that's the uk you know mm. build climate change committee so eventually the next building control the sad thing is the, the building control the english ones that are coming in now are worse potentially than the ones we had before or we wrote a letter complaining about that and saying you know it's just ridiculous um, but they're talking about the next one which might be i don't know maybe three four years time they'll suddenly do a big step change and i hope they will and i hope government has the guts to do it because all the evidence says we must do it and we must do it quickly so with brexit we're seeing worse legislation on house building i don't know whether it's brexit influenced or it's just the same old story that government is influenced by business and the business that dominates is big business and big right. business not very, it doesn't have the conscience, does it? Right. I don't all people in it that are awful. I just think sometimes call big corporate businesses, that's the nature of yeah. maybe big business or maybe it's the nature of the capitalist system and this whole ideology of we're not going to interfere in the market. Well, we have to get over that. We have to interfere in the market. And of course we do interfere in the market when we choose to and we want to. Amazing how often they'll say, oh, we can't possibly do that. You know, it will affect profits. It will, you know. Um, yeah. And we just need to think of all the floods recently. We're going to cost ourselves a lot more mm. by acting. And one of the shocking things is if every, every year we delay change, the mitigating strategies get bigger and bigger and bigger and cost us more. So every five years we put it off, you know, you see the mitigating strategies, the amount of, of, of work we're going to have to do increases and increases and increases. We really we need to do it now. And people listening to this will be working in and running buildings that are already around. I mean, are there some quick tips that you can give? To I know that um, you're saying that it's actually very costly to retrofit buildings, but in reality, we're not going to be knocking down every single building in the UK and re- rebuilding them. So we are going to have to work with what we've got and... I mean, what is it that people can do in buildings and in your own homes as well? <laughs> so that's, again, going to existing buildings is the most difficult task. Right. The equivalent um, standard to what I do for new builds, so it's something called Enerfit. 
and it's slightly more lenient than the new build, but it's basically focusing on the energy that you use, the heat energy. So if you take a house, at least 60% of the energy of that house will be to do with your space heating, keeping you warm. Right. So that's the big hit. The second one is hot water, but the massive big hit, if I did a pie chart for you, you'd see a huge section of it would be your space heating. So it's, it's getting that down. And to do that, you've got to get this fabric efficiency up. And um, it's, it's insulation and it's stopping leakiness. That's the thing that people... So people get the idea that they've got to put insulation. don't necessarily get the idea they've got to stop all the leakiness. So in a new build, to give you an idea, you're allowed to have one cash register of holes in your house. You imagine an ATM. Yeah. And with the fact that people build poorly in this country, so we often build it twice as bad as it should be, <laughs> it would, test would suggest that you might have two ATMs worth of leakiness in your, in your new um, With what I do, you, you're allowed to have a credit card worth of holes. Now, in, a, in, a, in an old house, you might have two, three, five cash registers of holes. So that's the really significant thing that you have to deal with. And it's very hard in, a, in an old building because those holes will be in your flow of voids, under your bath, you know, all very inaccessible places, very tricky places where all the joist ends go into your brickwork. Um, so there's a lot of fiddly work. And then also you start interfering in a building and it's sort of managing its moisture probably, at least you know what it's doing. If you do something wrong and put the wrong type of insulation in the wrong place and make get rid of the leaks, you could cause a problem with your fabric. Hmm. You could start getting mould and you could start getting um, yeah, mould and, and rot. So you really do need somebody who knows what they're doing hmm. to help you. Um, and they can do it really well, but because it's so fiddly and so invasive, that's why it's expensive. And yeah. what they have done is... Well, the way to do it is to do step by step, they call it. So you basically get someone to do a plan for you, and eventually you end up at Enifit, this standard that gets, gets it all perfect. But you do it over five or ten years. Right. You know where you're traveling to, so you've got a finish end. Mm. You know, step one might be, and what they do is they, they, that, that person who knows what they're doing will make sure that at step one it doesn't cause you any problems. Step through, so you don't create any um, unforeseen consequences as you step through and step up to the final. Mm. That's the only way to do it, really, because very few people have massive. Well, some people might do, um, but you know, this step-by-step approach is a is a very good one. But maybe the government has to invest uh, in actually um, subsidising people to help them do it as well, because you know, it's not really individuals' problems, is it? It's our whole. IT and culture, so I'm not keen on putting the burden on individuals as mm. being responsible. I think that organisations and governments need to take responsibility. And that means they might have to provide a lot more help than they aim to do now when they provide no help. Mm. It's, it's a tricky one. And I, I actually do think they're gonna have we're gonna have to knock down a lot more old buildings than we, we do at the moment. That's in, that's in, I mean, that's interesting in itself, isn't it? With um, planning laws and the way people want to preserve old buildings and older buildings for the look 
but yet actually is that the right thing to do should we yeah. be changing yeah. i mean obviously we do want to keep some buildings but you know it's maybe only the ones that we really think are worth what you know maybe we need to be a little bit, bit yeah. more, um, you know <laughs> and be a bit braver about saying actually we could build much maybe denser and some really good quality housing yeah and do it at a much better economic price point and be um, a bit more brave and inventive and <laughs> you know I agree with you. There, I've got to say, there are some very, very ugly buildings that are kept, and mm. quite frankly, they shouldn't be. Yeah, they, and I'll, I'll just because it's con- made of concrete and looks like a toast rack, does not mean that it's a nice building. No. <laughs> and, and, and we have this sort of bit of a backward-looking thing of oh, the, the past is better. We must maintain it, but no, I think we have to be brave sometimes, and actually, we've got to create a future, haven't we? Yeah. And in a way, we haven't a huge choice now we've got ourselves into the mess we have and are you seeing an up because you work with housing associations don't you and um are you seeing an uptake in people's talk and uh, and has it increased over the last year or so yeah de- definitely when i started off nobody even heard of the idea of passive house which is this energy efficient fabric first it's called standard um, now people look out for it they've heard of it the people who ran the scheme that won the riba sterling prize which is the highest prize in architecture it was a past social housing scheme in norwich that norwich city council built and it won the, the, the riba so that's a that's unknown they usually right. high-end art you know really expensive you know mm. schemes and this was like a, a scheme for, for affordable housing but to uh, you know, a very, very high environmental standard. That's amazing, you know. So things are shifting and the RIB have put this standard out um, that the architects are meant to... There was an architects declare climate crisis that a lot of architects signed up to. Mm. Um, sign it. My local council has just signed up accepting that there's a climate crisis. Well, when I started 10 years ago, nobody would have known what I did. There was no, you know, it was very... It's really changed over 10 years. Yeah. And, and just the fact that you hear all this stuff on the news, don't you, all the time, it, very few people are being um, sceptical, are they? It's much more people accepting that, that we are in a crisis. Yeah. We can see the impacts, can't we, now, much more? I think so. I think so. But I still do, and I'm just voicing um, an opinion, I'm still slightly worried that you, uh, you know, We've got councils declaring climate crises, but what are they going to do? Oh, absolutely. It's so easy to, I declare a climate crisis, yeah. and then someone goes, well, what are you going to do about it? I haven't, I haven't got a clue. Yeah, exactly. I, I've done it, though. I've declared. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I absolutely agree with you. And I, the, the local council, I thought, this is, this is, they've declared this. This is my, my opportunity to write to the councillors and say, well, this is, do you want to do some education now? You know, do you want to look at what this means, how you can actually do net zero carbon houses? And they wrote me back an email that was so crass um, and lacking in knowledge and, and not taking up the offer. And I wrote back and, you know, I was really irritated and saying, it's, you know, you've done the easiest thing in the world to declare that you accept it's a climate crisis. It's a whole other thing to do a practical outworking, educate yourself to actually what's required and do it you know tell that you're not the greenest borough in london 
it's just nonsense, isn't it? And the same with architects. We do CPD. We started doing more this year, interesting, and I think that's driven by the RIBA doing this target challenge. And at the end of it, I say, right, you've signed up to this thing, and now you need to sit down and you need to write out how you are going to transition from where you are mm. to this net carbon commitment that you've made, an actual practical plan you know, over the next five years, what are we actually going to do? I guess we're we're veering on to different different subjects now, but I think both yeah, of us come we both come from the same place. <laughs> it's, it is very important, one, isn't it? Because mm. you transition and you and everyone's got to transition, and they've got to be real about it. Yeah, and I think that's what this podcast is about. It's trying to. I mean, I've been doing this now for coming up to twenty years, well, and so I've seen enough rhetoric and enough greenwashing over my years to know that actually I'm now slightly too old in the tooth to actually care about um, listening to someone say that they'll do it when I kind of just want to hear about how they're going to do it. Yes. Yeah. And it's about talking to people and it's about understanding what other people can do. And I think we can all learn off each other and we can all try and understand what? Yeah. I, I'm very, you know, one of the reasons we set up again, we bring it round to the business actually. Yeah. Nicely is why we set up Passive House Homes. I'm in business with a with a, a contractor, a builder, carpenter. So I'm an architect and builder, which is a very unusual combination, a very good one. But we both agreed what needs to be done. You've got to do it. Yeah. Build the houses. You've got to prove that it, what the price was. You've got to show how the energy reduction was. You've got to put those examples out there. And then the arguments are done, aren't they? When the house builders say, oh, I can't do that. I can't make money. It's not economic. You say, well, look, you know, X person over there is doing it and they've done it for this price. And, you know, and then the conversation stops, doesn't it? Yeah. Actually doing things and building things and, and real things are what it's all about. The proof is in the pudding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a business, do you travel? And I'm just understanding how you manage your own environmental management as a business as well. And does it seep into your actual, the way of running the business? Well, we're really still quite a small company. So we don't have our own, we lease our offices. You know, we don't have our own offices. I'd love to build my own passive house office. We have the chance. I'm sure we will at some point and we will do it to the standard that we build elsewhere if we were doing it. And travel, we don't need to travel that far. We use Skype all the time, which is fantastic. Mm. And use trains. Use trains, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, In terms of all the products we sell on our online shop, you know, all all low embodied carbon and all the businesses that we go into partnership with, there are always people we've carefully chosen, who've got high environmental credentials. And actually, it's just a pleasure to do business with them. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things, I'm not actually an optimist really um you know I, i'm not convinced that we will be net zero carbon by any of the dates that people say but i find doing it improves your quality of life mm. i'm a happier person i work with nice people i have interesting conversations yeah yeah <laughs> really, i get that out of it you know i know i'm i get the satisfaction of building really great quality houses and not crap <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's it's been really good talking to you and understanding more about how and what we should be doing from a passive house and understanding how and what we should be doing building houses. So thank you so much for today, Jay. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for chatting to me. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for listening to the end of this episode of the Green Element Podcast. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what has been your biggest takeaway from this conversation. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us so we can see them too, at GE underscore podcast. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website, greenelement.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better world. Mm-hmm.